for sharing your testimony. Um, Philip's song, God's truth is coming to us. So let's take a moment to pray and bring our world and bring our needs to the Lord. In this stillness, God, we sit before you and we want to look to you and recognize again that you are the living God and you are our Father as well. That you are amazing and all-powerful and yet you love us and you're interested in the things that are on our hearts and the things that concern us and so God in the stillness we just lift to you the things that are on our minds that we're concerned about this morning take a moment in the quiet to just name those people those situations that you're concerned about And God, we lift our church to you, our church family, those in need, uh, those who are sick, those who are anxious, those who are struggling. And we thank you, God, for the opportunities that we have as a church family to serve our community and to make you known. And we pray, Lord, particularly in this time of change, of new things, new people joining us, God, that you would guide us as a church. We particularly ask for your blessing uh, in the processes of looking for new staff. God, provide what we need, your people, to come at this time to lead our church family. And we pray for our world, God, a world desperately, desperately in need of knowing who you are in the midst of chaos and war, famine, distress. We hold our world before you, Lord God. Cry out that you would intervene, make your justice known, make your loving compassion known across your world. We pray in the name of Jesus. And as we come, God, to look at your word, we pray that you would remind us of your truth this morning, that we would build our lives on your truth and that we would live, seek to live for your praise and glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, isn't it good to be looking into God's word together this morning? And if you have a Bible or your phone, I'd encourage you to get it out. Um, there's some Bibles at the back by the door if you want to go and grab one. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about the power of Christ. Um, you know, we've heard John's testimony this morning, and how amazing to hear God's power at work, both in the other people he spoke about, but also in his own life. And we're going to learn more about that. I wonder if you've seen this photo before. Thanks, Rob. Or a photo like this. Yeah? It's a sort of fairly common type of image, isn't it? I hope people can see it. If you're over that side, it's of a very, very raging stormy sea. Um, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Sea crashing round, raw power, seemingly untamed. Maybe it brings back 
memories for you, being seeing something like this or being near the coast, or perhaps bad memories. Perhaps you've had a bad experience of being on water or being, you know, on a very stormy sea. The sea's a powerful thing, isn't it? Um, Mark and I were recently in Australia to see his parents, um, and um, there were issues with the sea. So look at this photo. I took this a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so my question is, do you think they didn't want us to swim in the sea? Okay, so firstly, beach clothes. That was pretty common in our little trip away. Um, We got dangerous currents, okay, currents sweeping people away, I mean, or potentially doing that. And if you've ever been caught in a riptide or in a current, um, you can sense the power of the sea. And then we'd got the beach is temporarily closed, in case you can't see that, and that was due to pollution, okay? That's a nice thing. And then we'd got shark sightings, okay? So all in all, I didn't swim in the sea that day, okay? (laughs) And neither did anybody else. Obviously, they're quite hot on it. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a, an amazing thing, the sea. In fact, one day we did swim in some ocean baths up near Newca- in Newcastle. Um, and uh, one woman, rather unwisely, it was an ocean pool. So if you remember, it's sort of a, at the edge of the sea. And one woman, rather unwisely, was walking around the perimeter with two small children. Now, if you... Dr- picked up anything in international news in the last few weeks. There has been massive storms, massive flooding uh, in uh, New South Wales, and they've declared a state of emergency in the north of the state, and etc. So this was not the wisest thing to be doing because waves were kind of crashing over. And this person was tannoying from some office somewhere, going, would the woman with the two small children please move away? You know, uh, well, too late a wave comes crashing over and they're swept into the pool. Now, we were in the pool and fortunately, Mark was nearer to this woman and the two children who would, and we just watched as the children began to go under the water. I mean, I can't remember if we could even stand up at that point. But Mark was nearest, so he got to one of the children to actually hold this child up and then tried to usher the woman, did usher the woman and the other child, to safety, to steps, to get out, back onto this pretty dangerous perimeter wall, uh, dangerous at that point because of the waves, and, and, and managed to lead her around to safety. So why am I telling you that? This morning we're reading of a story of a very, very powerful sea. We're going to turn to Mark 4, if you have it available there. And we're going to read, it's going to come up on the screen too, uh, about Jesus in a boat in a very, very stormy sea. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is verse 35, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, 
Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the waves, the wind and the waves obey him. Imagine the picture. Here are Jesus' disciples, some of them fishermen, who had worked on this lake. In fact, it was called the Sea of Galilee. And if any of you have been there, you'll know that there's kind of hills around. It's a, it's a very sort of big lake. Um, and these guys knew the sea, this Sea of Galilee, like the back of their hands. I mean, they would do the, the trade. I mean, it's like John saying his plaster. I mean, if you ask John Edmund about plaster and ceilings and stuff like that, or walls, he's your man. I mean, you know, he knows it like the back of his hand. It's his trade. This was their trade. They were fishermen. And if you read Luke 5, it tells the account of Jesus calling some of these guys to follow him right at this place. There was probably nothing you could tell them about the conditions, the distances, the winds, the things they would encounter on the sea. But then we see things getting out of control, don't we, here? The NIV says that a furious squall broke out. And the New Living Translation calls it a furious storm. I wouldn't have wanted to be in that little boat at that time. But weren't these guys used to changeful sea conditions? Surely they would have been. And yet this event seems to make them really, really afraid. Look at what they say. Don't you care if we drown? The the New Living Translation actually says they shouted at Jesus. That seems to infer to me that they were in some kind of panic going on here about the conditions, fearful of drowning. Like our little boy in Newcastle when Mark had got him out of the water, shouting, I don't want to go in the water, as he cried in shock. And where was Jesus at this point? Well, in contrast, Jesus seemed to be managing to sleep through this furious storm going on. Not uncaring, but exhausted. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human form, human limitations, and he'd been teaching, healing, meeting with people, traveling, working, and he was utterly exhausted and soundly asleep until the disciples, I would imagine, probably shook him awake if he was that sleepy at that time in their fear and panic. It must have been some storm, I think, for the disciples to be so frightened. A bit like being caught up in a boat on that first photo we saw. It would be very, very scary. And Jesus, now fully awake, responds to their fears, intervenes in the situation by commanding the waves and the winds to cease, to be still. The New Living Translation says, suddenly the wind stopped. However quickly it happened, It went to being completely calm, we read here. There's a lot been said about this event um, and written about this event. Do we call it a miracle? Did they just get lucky? Uh, You know, the disciples would have known how to handle themselves in a boat if this kind of occurrence happened when they were fishing. There are suggestions that storms such as these do happen on the Sea of Galilee and they can kind of whip up quite quickly 
and presumably die down again. But the disciples would have known that. The weather, would, the weather patterns would have been known to them. But this seemed to be somewhat out of the ordinary and in terms of the scale of the issue. If they normally just waited it out, the scale of this meant that they thought that it was so extraordinary that they got Jesus involved to come deal with this catastrophic situation they were all facing. Some have said, well, it's a natural event, but the miracle was in the timing that Jesus stopped this instantly. Whatever we want to describe it as, Jesus takes this opportunity to ask them about their faith. Where was their faith, Jesus asked them. Why were they so afraid? Didn't they trust him? The little boy that Mark caught in Newcastle might have trusted his mother, but it was misplaced trust, wasn't it? She actually said to Mark in the water, I actually can't swim very well. And she was out on this ledge with these children. So it was misplaced trust. She had no capacity to save. Not so with Jesus. Did they, do we trust that he's got the capacity to save? So Jesus uses this incident to try and teach the disciples more about having faith in his power. So that's the story. And as I thought about this story, I thought, what, what can I learn? What can we learn as we reflect on this story this morning? And the question I ask myself, and we'll consider for a few minutes this morning, why do we find it so difficult to trust, to believe and trust in Christ's power in our own lives? Or maybe I'll just speak for myself. But I think what we've, we see around us is that, you know, in our own lives, it's difficult to trust that God could intervene. So let me make some suggestions, four suggestions about why we might struggle to trust, to have faith in Christ's power in our own lives. And if you want to read more about this, Ryle's book uh, has got a chapter called The Ruler of the Waves. And if you dip into that, um, if you want to read some more. But firstly, um, one, of the, one of the reasons we might struggle is that we, we haven't really taken in scripture. We haven't really understood God's word. And we haven't really you know, taken it into our lives, taken it to heart. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus Christ was with God. John 1 verse 3, if you want to look it up. Jesus was with God and through him all things were made. Through him all things were made. And he is the, the Lord over all creation, therefore. So, the wind and the waves, nothing to Jesus, because he created them. He knew all about them. He had all power, supreme power over the wind and the waves. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus sustains all things. Not only did he create them, but he sustains them by the, his powerful word, okay? By the word of his power, he upholds and sustains all things. So, if we look into scripture, what we see is because God created it all and he sustains it all, he is all-powerful and he, he is this all-powerful one. Can I encourage you, friends, if, you know, this is our source book, 
And if you don't dip into this, if you don't read this often, can I encourage you to read more? I, I tell myself, I'm saying this to myself. Let's learn about this Jesus, the all-powerful one, more in here. You know, reading this feeds our minds. It nourishes our soul. And it builds faith in us that Jesus is the all-powerful one. So a second reason that we might find it difficult to uh, trust in, in Christ's power is that we live in the West here in the aftermath, long time after, of a philosophical movement that came about in the 18th century called the Enlightenment. Okay, I'm not a huge historical buff, so I won't go on about it, but this whole period was marked by a rejection of traditional social and religious um, ideas. And what arose was an emphasis on reason. Can we rationalize this? Okay. Now, we won't, most of us won't even think about this, but actually we're hugely impacted by the culture in which we live here in the West. Okay. How can we rationalize what is going on? Therefore, why should we believe in something that we can't really understand, we can't see, we can't get to grips with, we can't work it out? Because rationalizing and reasoning things out is how we've been grown up, we've been educated in that way. That movement led to a big kind of separation of science and faith, as if they're incompatible when God created science. But, that, but that's actually been one of the effects of that, seeming to be incompatible. How can we believe in an unseen, hard-to-prove God who has power outside of what we can rationalize or control? Folks, even as Christians, we are massively impacted by the culture in which we live. And therefore, trusting in Christ's power is a countercultural step. Let me just say that again. Trusting in Christ's power is a countercultural, it goes against the norm of our culture to trust in Christ's power that we can't see, hold, feel, touch, work out. If you want to chat more about that, then talk to somebody. You know, talk to Chris, our pastor, if you're not with the church. He, he, our minister is away today. Um, but... Um, you know, talk to somebody or ask somebody to pray. We have people who will pray with you if you struggle um, with that, believing Christ's power. So a third reason um, is that we might find it hard to trust in Christ's power is that we haven't seen God do what, um, what we wanted him to do. When we wanted it, in the way we wanted it, God hasn't Done what, done what we wanted him to do. Maybe we've prayed about something and it hasn't happened. And we question, is God powerful? Is he able to deliver the goods? When God doesn't do it our way and what seems logical to us, maybe we find it difficult to trust. Maybe we are just a little too arrogant and think that we know best, our way is best. Think about Job. Job's a book in the Bible, before the Psalms. Job is a man who lost everything. And Job argues with God. I think, I think quite reasonably. He railed against God, and he was honest. And yet he recognized in 12.13, Job 12, to God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding 
are his. So Job, in all of his distress and loss and confusion, anchored back onto that point of God being a God of power and understanding, belonging to God. Such was his trust that he could say in the next chapter in, in, in Job 13, Job says, and people know this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, yet will I hope in him. Oh, that's amazing trust and faith when you can't understand, God, what is going on here? He anchors back to the truth that God is in control. Um, but maybe we struggle with that. What about when we see immeasurable suffering in our lives? And John, thank you for sharing from your own experience some of that suffering in your family and personally and seeing that um, or in the lives of people we know around us or faces we see in the paper. You know, it's very powerful, isn't it, the media? Some of those pictures, little children, the hands up at railway carriages, you know, it, it's very kind of moving, isn't it, to see that. And honestly... Isn't it a struggle to say we trust in God's power? Let's be honest about it. Take Ukraine. Is God sovereign? Is he all-powerful over the Ukraine situation? Thank you, Steve. Great. I love that. Faith. Yes, he is. Absolutely. You know, why doesn't he do something about Putin? These are reasonable questions to be bringing to God. Bringing our hearts, you know angst about the whole thing i read an article in the paper yesterday in fact i ripped it out and then i couldn't find where i put it when i ripped it out our house is in a bit chaos at the moment we've got work going on and it said god has left mariupol you know that's one of the cities that's been under siege there god has left mariupol and this was the words of a neighbor of the person that was reporting no wonder that sense of, God, where are you? Have you left this place? Have you left our world? Are you not in control anymore? Well, David the psalmist had just the same questions. Why did evil people seem to do well? Psalm 73, David says, the wicked are always carefree. And he'd been plagued himself, David had. But verse 17 of Psalm 73, and if you're struggling with this, note that down, clock it down, write it on your phone. Psalm 73 and verse 17. David said, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. This powerful God is a God of justice, which one day will be meted out. You know, Ryle in the book says, the floods of care and tribulation may be mighty, but Jesus sits upon the water's floods, water floods and is mightier than the waves of the sea. Psalm 93 verse 4 says, he is mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Friends, can I invite us to take a step back and take a large view of Christ's power today? His action is not always in our time frame. 
we do not understand why he does not intervene. Um, we were in church in Newcastle in, that weekend after saving the little girl, um, and a man prayed, and he said, God, would you remove Putin or change him? Change him or remove him, actually, was the, the way that he said it. And I thought, what a reasonable prayer. Change him, God. Change that man and all that he's doing with his, you know, people in Russia. Or remove him. So take a large view because if we step back, we see that God will deal with that. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. And the last suggestion I'd make as to why we struggle uh, to realize Christ's power is that we might be scared of his awesome power. To trust this Christ, to open ourselves up to him, well, you know, what might he do? What might he expect of us? How will he use this power? Uh, He does have the power to judge. He does have the power to end life or commence life. He does. Aren't we a bit scared of what he might do? I love the bit in the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Susan realizes that Aslan is a lion. Some of you might know the story. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Some of you will remember an old song, How Great is the God We Adore, Our Faithful, Unchangeable Friend, Whose Love is as Great as His Power, and Knows Neither Measure Nor End. His love is as great as His power. It balances out. If we're scared of His power, know this morning that it is tempered, it's balanced by His enormous love. So the way that he will work in his power is balanced by his immense love for you, for the world, for our church. Hold on to that fact. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. His love is as great as his power. So concluding, can we trust God's power? Is it real? Can he work in our lives? The answer, Steve, thank you, is a resounding yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Because some of us have known his power. We've known his overwhelming peace in metaphorical storms that we've gone through. Many could give testimony, as John has this morning, that Christ can command the waves and the winds to be quiet in our lives. And if you want somebody to pray with you about some of those things, we're really happy to do that. I heard of somebody in one of our home groups encouraging people by sharing a story of how God had intervened and stilled a distraught child in the middle of a particularly challenging night. When I myself had cancer a few years ago, God reminded me in a song by Bethel Music, um, which is called It Is Well, 
that the waves and the wind still know his name. You know, that thought that Christ's same power as we've read about here in Mark today, those waves and winds in our lives or in nature, still know the name of Christ and respond to his commands. You know, what a comfort that was to me in those times, that my situation was not out of control. When I was tempted to think, has God got the power to hold me, to heal me, to save me? Yes, he has. Tell your stories, friends. It encourages and builds faith, as John's has today to us. Thank you. And we can see here that we can rest in the knowledge that when we struggle to believe, and maybe you think, Fee, this all sounds very great, but I do struggle to really trust in God's power, Christ's power to work in my life. You know, Jesus did not reject the disciples because of their unbelief. I don't believe he was furious with them. Oh, you stupid people, why are you unbelieving? He was probably just, do you still not believe? Because he continued to walk with them and he continues to walk with, our, in, with us in our journey of faith this morning. If we're struggling, he walks with us. He doesn't bat us down because we struggle to believe. So hang in there. Christ walks with you when we find it hard to believe in his power he is in the boat with you this morning, friends. If you're wondering, he's in the boat. And we can rejoice today that we serve an all-powerful king. There is nothing outside of his control, even when it feels like it and it looks like it to us. We only see that old thing about only see one side of the tapestry. Colossians 1.17 tells us that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He reigns. He did then in the storms in Galilee, and he does today in our lives, in our church, and in our world. Thanks be to God. We're going to sing together, uh, remind ourselves that you were the word at